Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.37 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is what? The 24th of February, 2023. This is episode 678 of Bitcoin. And I told you that I was going to do that ordinal story out of uh, Bitcoin Magazine yesterday, like maybe today. I'm not. No. (laughs) No. I was reading through it and it's just, honestly, it's just, there's just too much. It's just, no. Just not going to do it. I'm, I just can't. I can't. But I am going to do this one. IMF executive board endorses crypto policy framework, including no crypto as legal tender. So the, the fat man is at it again. Derek Anderson, tell us why. Cointelegraph. The executive board of the International Monetary Fund has assessed a paper on crypto asset policy published by the fund and expressed its agreement with its proposed policy framework. The paper titled, quote, Elements of Effective Policies for Crypto Assets, developed a framework of nine policy principles that addressed macrofinancial, legal, and regulatory, as well as international coordination issues. The proposed principles were mainly quite broad, emphasizing analysis, excuse me, monitoring, and guarding. (laughs) guarding the paper explicitly says the proposal should be taken up by quote the directors the first principle did contain a concrete injunction reading quote safeguard monetary sovereignty and stability by strengthening monetary policy frameworks and do not grant crypto assets official currency or legal tender status yeah i'm sure el salvador is just shooting the finger at him The executive board expressed its agreement with the proposals in the paper and specifically endorsed its position on crypto as legal tender, saying members, quote, generally agreed with it. The the board also repeated the principle of same activity, same risk, same regulation, and emphasized that the fund could serve as a thought leader. It's just so bad. A thought leader in further analytical work on crypto assets. Oh, joy. The paper was dated January 2023, and the executive board met to discuss it on February the 8th, but the paper and the meeting were made known to the public yesterday, February the 23rd. The IMF has made its opposition to the use of crypto's legal tender well-known, especially since El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as its official currency in September 2021. No, that's not true. El Salvador did not adopt Bitcoin as its official currency. That is incorrect. It adopted and gave legal tender status to Bitcoin, but it did not say it is now our official currency. I don't know what this dude's thinking, but whatever. 
The latest statement on El Salvador was released on February the 10th and was panned by the crypto community. The fund has also urged the adoption of greater crypto regulation. The IMF looks at central bank digital currencies more favorably than cryptocurrency. It announced in September that it was working on an interoperable CBDC platform. Yeah, good luck. Because all the best and brightest are not flocking to the IMF to do computer work and programming and blockchain stuff. No, no, they're, they're really not. Uh, they're not really flocking to the Federal Reserve either. I mean, honestly, when you really get down to it, there's not a whole lot of really bright minds that are flocking to these central agencies at all when it comes to computer, at least when it comes to computer programming. Sure, they got Nobel laureate economists and whatnot, but uh, coding, I honestly think that central banks around the world are fairly weak on their coding skills because I just don't see a whole bunch of people rushing to the door to go work for the Fed. And speaking of the Fed, <laughs> the Fed increases its focus on crypto and alerts banks to liquidity risk. Who would have guessed? Jason Nelson, Decrypt.co, continuing its increased scrutiny of the cryptocurrency industry, the United States Federal Reserve released a new statement on Thursday reminding banks of the risks inherent in dealing with cryptocurrency and related assets. Quote, Certain sources of funding from crypto asset-related entities may pose heightened liquidity risks to banking organizations due to the unpredictability of the scale and timing of deposit inflows and outflows, the statement said. Agencies joining the Federal Reserve in its bank crypto warning are the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. Interesting, because both of those entities have been fairly fairly light-handed and in some cases uh, kind of like Bitcoin. But of course, they're, they are talking about crypto in general, which is, you know, mostly a scam. The Federal Reserve highlighted the cryptocurrency market's volatility, the risk of bank runs, and as in the case of Terra Luna, stablecoins depegging from the dollar or dislocation, that's in quotes, which are periods of stress and customer panic due to market events, media reports, and uncertainty. Yeah, we just need to stop listening to the news. The quote, the stability of such deposits may be linked to demand for stablecoins, the confidence of stablecoin holders in the stablecoin arrangement, and the stablecoin issuers reserve management practices, the agency wrote. The group also advised banks to be on the lookout for crypto companies that inaccurately or misleadingly represent their deposit insurance status. In July of 2022, the FDIC opened up an investigation into bankrupt crypto broker Voyager Digital's insurance claims. The agency accused the Toronto-based crypto firm of marketing all depositors covered by FDIC insurance through its partnership with Metropolitan Commercial Bank, which was Voyager's banking partner. But the FDIC said only Metropolitan Commercial Bank was insured, not Voyager. On the other hand, the collective warning also seemed to stress that dealing in crypto doesn't require an entirely separate slate of controls than traditional finance does. Quote, the statement reminds banking organizations to apply existing risk management principles. It does not create new risk management principles, the Fed wrote. Quote, banking organizations are neither prohibited nor discouraged from providing banking services to customers of any specific class or type as permitted by law or regulation. End quote. Last month, 
United States Senator Elizabeth Focahontas Warren chastised banking regulators for not doing enough to protect consumers from crypto fraud taking aim at crypto-friendly banks like Silvergate, who Warren accused of opening the banking system up to the greater risk of a crypto collapse. So we go right from the IMF to the Federal Reserve. Yeah, this is, I don't know, I'm just going to say it's coordinated attack. It just is. It's a coordinated attack. They don't like, well, there's a lot of reasons not to like crypto. I don't like crypto and most of the Bitcoiners I know hate it as well. So from that standpoint, we're all in agreement with the IMF as well as the Federal Reserve and any of these other agencies. Isn't that kind of interesting that we are, I'm actually in agreement with all of this when it comes to cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is not cryptocurrency. It's not part of the crypto industry. The crypto industry exists because everybody wanted to get rich when they figured out what Bitcoin was doing. And somehow or another, we keep getting suckered in to believing that Bitcoin is crypto. It is not. That's the real enemy to these people. And when they disagree with me on what Bitcoin is or the viability of its of the project, I disagree. I couldn't disagree more vehemently with these agencies. But as long as they just keep talking about crypto, I'm 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 keen to let them just go pick the low hanging fruit. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, here's a guy that seems to understand something. We'll see what he was mining because this guy faces arrest over an alleged crypto mine that he hid under his school. <laughs> Luke Hoogsloot. Cointelegraph, a former facilities worker who allegedly set up a secret cryptocurrency mining operation inside a Massachusetts school's crawl space is due for arrest after missing a scheduled court hearing to answer to charges. Nadeem Nahas was scheduled to be arraigned on February the 23rd facing charges of vandalizing a school and fraudulently, fraudulent use of electricity, according to media reports. A default warrant is a type of warrant issued by court when a person fails to appear in court or comply with an order and authorizes law enforcement officers to arrest that person. Nahas, who is said to have previously worked in the facilities department for the town of Cohasset, Massachusetts in the United States, is alleged to have stolen electricity worth almost $18,000 in order to power his crypto mining operation in 2021 between the dates of April 28th and December the 14th. Local police were reportedly initially informed about the operation in December of 2021 after Cohasset's facilities director noticed computers, wiring, and ductwork that seemed out of place given that they were in a crawl space near the school's boiler room. A total of 11 computers were found there and Nahas was identified as a suspect after a three-month investigation. Nahas resigned from his position with the town of Cohasset back in March. It is certainly not the first time someone has been charged with stealing electricity in order to mine cryptocurrency. In July of 2021, Malaysian officials destroyed $1.2 million worth of Bitcoin mining rigs that were confiscated from residents who were stealing electricity to mine. And a year prior to that, in August of 2020, Bulgarian authorities arrested two men for illegally siphoning off more than $1.5 million in electricity to operate not one, but two crypto mining farms. So this dude had what looks to be like Antminer S9s. Is there's, there's a picture of it. So they never actually say Bitcoin. They just say crypto mining. So I have no idea 
exactly what he was mining, but these miners are, they're ASIC miners. So I'm pretty sure he was, he was, uh, uh, doing this for, for Bitcoin. And oh my God, I can't imagine having miners in a crawl space. They show a picture of the crawl space and it's dusty and dirty and yikes. So somebody gets it. Somebody definitely gets it. Now on to Blockstream. <clears throat> they have formalized a research team dedicated to Bitcoin innovation, BTCKC. Bitcoin Magazine takes us through it. Blockstream, a leading Bitcoin infrastructure company, has announced a formalized Blockstream research team with a focus on advancing the platforms at the core of the Bitcoin ecosystem, tackling complex problems, and pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin. There are a variety of projects already in progress that the research team is working on. The team has created a more robust programming language, Simplicity, which is designed as an alternative to Bitcoin script. The team has also created Miniscript, a safer language for writing structured Bitcoin scripts that enables analysis, composition, generic signing, and much, much more. In addition to this, the company is also developing Elements Script, a set of extensions to Bitcoin script that includes new covenant opcodes, which are still being explored. Another area of focus for Blockstream is digital signing or signatures. The company has developed cross input signature aggregation which enables multiple inputs in a single transaction to share a single signature, reducing the size of transactions and improving the efficiency of the Bitcoin network. The team has also developed MuSig2, a solution designed to make Bitcoin multi-sig transactions more efficient and simultaneously more private. Blockstream's applied research team is also working on off-chain protocols such as Scriptless Script, which is a solution to enable smart contract execution to take place off-chain, providing benefits such as increased security, privacy, and scalability, utilizing the power of Schnorr signatures. Fediment, a federated e-cash protocol, enables a network of signers to accept Bitcoin with deposits and withdrawals and mint e-cash notes for users while maintaining privacy at the level of the federation. The research team now consists of 10, count them 10, highly experienced researchers, including the likes of Andrew Polstra, uh, Andrew Chow, Dr. Russell O'Connor, and Christian Liu. Quote, Blockstream has been producing research output since its founding in 2014, contributing ideas like op underscore CSV and covenants to SegWit and Taproot. Historically, We've done this as Bitcoin contributors, as block streamers, and as ourselves. I'm excited to continue putting out groundbreaking new ideas such as Musig, Frost, Simplicity, and Codex32, now under the Blockstream research umbrella, said Polstra, who serves as director of research at Blockstream and is a computer science researcher and mathematician from the University of Texas at Austin. He joined the block, uh, block stream. He joined the Bitcoin community in 2011 and became known for being the first to start a Rust implementation of Bitcoin, as well as contributing to the LibSec P256K1. Polstra has co-invented Bulletproofs, Confidential Assets, Miniscript, as well as Taproot itself. Dr. O'Connor, a core tech engineer with a background in mathematics and computer science, is best known for his work as the developer and author of Simplicity, a new language for blockchains. The five-plus-year endeavor of Simplicity is expected to launch this year. Lou also, sorry, hold on. Lou 
also a core tech engineer, has quickly become a primary contributor to Simplicity and has also been instrumental in helping to maintain Miniscript. So Blockstream is also forging along and that's in the face of, I, I guess Craig Wright is at it again because it looks like Marco, Marcus Falco, I, I, one of the Bitcoin core contributors, right? has stepped down and I saw that, I saw that like a couple of days ago, but I didn't read anything about it being because he was being sued by Craig Wright. And I honestly still have no idea if Craig Wright is trying to sue Falco, or I can't, I'm not sure if that's his actual, his not real name. I'm probably mispronouncing it because I don't have the name in front of me, but I think it's Marcus Falco is, is the guy's name. I have no idea if Craig Wright is actually in the process of suing him because of, I don't know, he keeps claiming copyright infringement on, on this kind of stuff. So I don't know, but it it's become clear as of yesterday that a lot of people think that that's what's going on. If that is in fact, what's happening, please let me know, you know, DM me on Noster or send me a boostagram or something like that. But honestly, this shit's got to stop. And I'm, I am not sure why any legal entity in the world would see fit to hear what Craig Wright has to say any longer. He's lost all the cases. <laughs> He's hasn't, I mean, it's just, it, his court cases are a money sink to whoever's behind it. Even Jack Dorsey asked, where is he getting his money? And of course, you know, most people will say the same thing. Well, of course, Calvin Ayer. Dude, I'm not sure if Calvin Ayer has this much money. Sure, he's got a, he had a lot of money. He's got a lot less now. But I'm pretty sure that at this point in the game, with the amount of legal fees that has, have, has to be, wait a minute, has to be, have racked up. I don't, I can't even talk today. It was a long, it was a late night last night. So I'm a little low energy today and I certainly can't speak very well, but be that as it may, <clears throat> I don't think that it's now just Calvin Ayer who's the sugar daddy. I think somebody else is behind it. Not sure who, and I'm not even going to get into the conspiracy theory, but the fact remains, I don't think, I don't think Calvin Ayer is the only funder any longer. And I'm starting to think that he may not have been funding this for a lot longer than we think. I'm just putting that out there. Now, speaking of boostograms, I got one from JC Denton, 1000 sats. He says, thank you. No, thank you, sir. Pitar with uh, the Striper Boost, 7,777 sat says, I love seeing all these new names making boostograms. Welcome, friends. Yeah, no shit. I welcome you too. Bit Happens, 1331 with 108 sat says, caught a bigger fish. Wish list real. It's not hit or miss straight out of the hip. You got beef. I got initiative. Put a parking ticket on your censorship to the owner of the Treb parked in front of the fountain. It's been booted and now we're towing it. Attention, junior nostriches. Get off those asses. I have no idea what the hell that meant. I'm just happy that I was able to read through it cold. Now, Nick underscore dose 369 sat says cheers. And Patrick Ulrich from yesterday's show. These are all from yesterday's shows, which was episode 677. Uh, says, thank you for continuing to spread the signal. Yes. And I appreciate every single sat that's come in. Um, you know, it's, I, I really enjoy doing the show. And one of these days, I'll make it my, you know, primary income. I don't know how the hell I'm going to do that. 
<laughs> everybody's broke right now. So nobody really, and, and not only is everybody broke, but we are all zapping the shit out of each other on various clients for Noster. It's amazing. I don't think the Lightning Network has ever seen this much continued traffic. Sure, there's been spikes, there's been bumps, but this is continuous, continuous traffic. It's amazing. Now, it's probably gonna be a shorter show because I am already about to run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, we got oil, West Texas oil, in fact, up a half a point to $75.81. Brent North Sea is up almost a half a point to $82.55. Natural gas, swinging for the fences, four and a quarter percent to the upside, $2.41 per thousand. And gasoline is down 1.63%, $2.34 a gallon. All the shiny metal rocks are not doing well, including gold down half a point to 1816 bucks and 80 cents. Silver is down a full two and a third points. Platinum is down almost four points. Copper is down 2.7% and palladium is down 3.96 percentage points. Uh, ag, the only winner today is cotton, 2.47% to the upside and wheat crashing well, not crashing. It's just down 3.6%. Uh, however, what is crashing is the markets in general. Dow is down one and a third point. S&P down one and a half. NASDAQ down 2.17. S&P mini is down 1.13 percentage points. And real money is also struggling. $23,000, no, $23,121.17. That's after almost 500,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. The average transaction value is 1.68 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.017 BTC, just under $400. Block times are back to normal, 10 minutes and four seconds. We have 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 17 and a third taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with the 7.21% rise in hash rate, we're back up to 316 exahashes per second. Doge, your shitcoin indicator, indicates that every shitcoin is doing poorly today. 8.1 United States pennies. We have a $445.4 billion market cap. That is still 3.69% of gold's entire market cap. But you can only get 13.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks today with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,300,639.14 of, and 5,401.8 of those are the Lightning Network valued at $124.6 million, running over 16,222 public nodes sporting 76,361 payment channels that we can see and 67.9% of all of it's being run over Tor. There are a measly 2,212 transactions waiting on a mere five blocks to clear. Minimum fee rate is one Satoshi per V-byte. We have an estimated difficulty change of 10.6% to the upside on February the 24th. That would be sometime today, and I'm not exactly sure when, but... That's the weather. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Do you wonder why 
energy prices were up, generally speaking, and the financial equities markets were down. Well, it's probably because of this one. Bitcoin price stays underneath 200, no, $24,000 as the PCE data helps the United States dollar to a near seven week high. Holy shit. Cointelegraph and William Suberg. Bitcoin stayed lower at the February 24th Wall Street Open as United States macroeconomic data showed inflation biting back. Well, duh, what did you think was going to happen? Data from Cointelegraph Markets Pro and TradingView followed BTCUSD as it traded in a narrowing range around 2300 well, $23,800. The pair attempted to reclaim 24 five the day prior, but it ultimately proved unsuccessful as resistance kept gains in check. Bitcoin nonetheless saw only a muted reaction to the latest United States personal consumption expenditure index print, which was 4.7 instead of the 4.3 forecast, suggesting that inflation was not ebbing as quickly as hoped. Again, well, duh. For a popular commentator, uh, Ted Talks Marco this will cause the Federal Reserve to consider a larger interest rate hike at its March meeting, a potential headwind for risk assets, including crypto. Quote, here comes the speculation of 50 basis points in March, he argued in part of a Twitter reaction. I'm so sick of the whole Twitter thing. Focusing on BTC USD itself, Cointelegraph contributor Michael Vandepop, meanwhile, remained upbeat on the short-term prospects the markets are still having a regular correction inside of an uptrend, he wrote alongside of a chart with significant levels highlighted. Quote, as long as Bitcoin remains above 22,000, this would be sufficient to expect continuation towards 25,000. Monitoring resource material indicators highlighted resistance on the Binance order book laddered above the spot price <clears throat> with the most support at 23,000. And there's some more technical analysis at this point. Uh, let's get into the dollar uh, part of this because I just, technical analysis in, in these times is, it, it's spotty and uncertain at best. United States <clears throat> stock took a more pronounced tumble on the PCE print with the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ composite index down 1.4 and 1.7% respectively at the time of writing. A welcome boost was had by the U.S. dollar index, which climbed to 105.3 on the day, which is its highest since January the 6th. The DXY weakness characterized much of the January crypto comeback, which reversed in February in line with increased difficulty faced by Bitcoin bulls, keen to hold on to 50% plus gains. The dollar index moves further into the 200-day moving average cloud, said Caleb Franson, senior market analyst of Cubic Analysis. Franson added that the DXY could see more upside within this range, but the entire range is potential resistance. So that's what's going on. Inflation, you know, is not curbing the way that the Federal Reserve and the Treasury and the Biden administration is hoping for. And everybody in the world is getting hurt. If you think it's just the United States getting hurt by the Federal Reserve and the Treasury and the Biden administration, you're fooling yourself. It's the whole world because everybody's attached at the hip to the United States dollar and its index is looking like it's skyrocketing. It's, it's amazing. Um, that's why the markets are down. That's why Bitcoin's down. And we're, you know, we're, well, we're still well away from the halving, okay? So um, 
we're just going to have to see what happens at the having. The old, you know, and as normal, as per tradition, the question now must be asked, is the having priced in? And the answer is a resounding no, at least that's my opinion. Now, nine years ago today, that's today, recalling the Bitcoin exchange failure that was way bigger than FTX, Bitcoin Magazine, and Nomsios is writing for the first time in a while. I have not seen Nomsios in, in quite some time. The fall of FTX, a crypto empire that defrauded investors, customers, and employees to the tune of $8 billion, rattled the ecosystem with many worrying whether the ecosystem would survive. However, that's not the first time a failure of such magnitude has happened in the space. Unbeknownst to many cryptocurrency newcomers in 2014, the world's largest Bitcoin exchange, Mt. Gox, went bankrupt following a series of hacks and mismanagement issues. The fall resulted in customers losing over 800,000 Bitcoin, a level of worry that makes FTX seem like a blip in time. Tokyo-based Mt. Gox, whose domain, mtgox.com, was originally registered back in 2007 to host a trading site for the wildly popular Magic the Gathering game cards, began operating as a rudimentary Bitcoin exchange in late 2010. As business began to drive huge traffic, the owner sold the platform to a guy named Mark Carpellis. Carpellis, an avid programmer and Bitcoin enthusiast, beefed up the web's platform code to handle an increased volume of Bitcoin transactions and buy and sell orders. Ultimately, the exchange's failure demonstrated that he did not do a sufficient job, either technically or in the management aspects of the business, as he tried filling the role of Mt. Gox's chief executive officer with little experience. On February the 24th, 2014, Mt. Gox suspended trading and went offline. Eventually, it came to light that Mt. Gox's infrastructure had been exploited by attackers multiple times over the course of several years. The attackers had slowly robbed the exchange of its Bitcoin by manipulating parts of transaction data, a character characteristic known as transaction malleability. Yay, transaction malleability. Um, sorry, I got a uh, uh, distracted by a message. Um, where was I? Oh, leading Mt. Gox to believe that certain withdrawals had not happened, which led it to send requested funds multiple times. Earlier that month, Mt. Gox had gone offline for a few hours and its team issued a press release blaming the Bitcoin protocol itself for being faulty in its transaction watching mechanism. When receiving a withdrawal request, the exchange would observe the Bitcoin blockchain for a confirmation of the withdrawal transaction ID, which is a hash, constructed from said transaction data. However, a transaction ID is only final once the transaction gets confirmed on the blockchain, a characteristic that lets attackers alter parts of the transaction, not including the inputs and outputs, and thus alter its ID. The result? Mt. Cox's database would not show a successful withdrawal as a specific transaction ID that the exchange was watching for would never make its way into the block. But the attacker would still receive the Bitcoin as the altered transaction did get confirmed. It's important to reiterate that this was a failure of Mt. Gox and not the Bitcoin protocol. While this accounting discrepancy was surprisingly never spotted, on February the 24th, 2014, an internal Mt. Gox document was leaked detailing how big of a hole it had really dug for itself. The document indicated that over 800,000 Bitcoin were stolen. 
worth over $430 million then and almost 18 billion with a B dollars now, nine years later, and customers are still waiting to get some of their Bitcoin back. At the time of failure, it was estimated that Mt. Gox was handling as much as 70% of all Bitcoin traded worldwide. For comparison, FTX's fall <clears throat> represents uh, represented a fraud of over 8 billion or less than half the corresponding amount of Bitcoin lost <clears throat> with Mt. Gox. Sam Bankman Fried's exchange was a prominent one, but it didn't hold the top one post worldwide at the time of failure. While the two exchanges differed in terms of how they collapsed, the backbone issue was the same. Centralized exchanges represent single points of failure. In both instances, the chief executives failed their clients who had trusted them with the custody of their Bitcoin. For all exchanges, the risk of error, fraud, or bankruptcy is an omnipresent threat that should be treated as such. It is never too late to get into self-custody and take control over your Bitcoin. So that's Nomsios. Here's the thing though. It wasn't worth $18 billion at the time. All right, so... I guess it depends on, you know, what direction you're looking at it. I don't necessarily like looking at the past, but it is what it is. And what is true is that these guys are still waiting to get their Bitcoin. This happened today, nine years ago. We're almost a decade out. I mean, we're on the better side. We're, well, we're on the better side to a decade than anything else. Can you imagine waiting all this, this time for, for your Bitcoin? And some of these guys are still waiting for it. Some, there's like a couple of people that have uh, opted for, uh, I don't know, 90% instead of a full 100%. And I think that they're getting it maybe in a couple of months. But as far as I know, a single Bitcoin that has been rescued from Mt. Gox has not been given over to the creditors of Mt. Gox. 10 years. All this story should do for you is underline the importance, the absolute criticality it is to get all of your shit off of exchanges. All of it. All of it. Okay, I'll give you 20 bucks. You know, $50. Whatever. 50 bucks. Whatever it is that you are just fine losing, consider it lost. If it's on an exchange, consider it lost. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then I'd suggest you get your shit into self-custody immediately. Now, up to Montana. Montana's right-to-mind crypto bill moves closer to passing as a law. Jesse Coughlin, Cointelegraph. A cryptocurrency mining rights bill with laws that would prohibit the dis discrimination of crypto miners, God forbid, is a one step closer to fruition after passing the Montana Senate. The proposed laws would enshrine a, quote, right to mine digital assets and would prohibit discriminatory electricity rates being charged to crypto miners, protect mining that occurs at home, and strip local governments of the power to use zoning laws to stop crypto mining operations. Oh my. It also prohibits additional taxes on the use of crypto as a payment method and would consider digital assets, including cryptocurrencies as non-fungible tokens, as personal property alongside other financial products such as stocks and bonds. Wow, this is pretty, pretty forward-looking, honestly. The bill was passed in the Senate 
yesterday, February the 23rd, with a vote of 37 for and 13 against, and will head to the House for approval. If it's passed there as, as well, the final step would it be would be for it to get signed into law by Governor Greg Gianf Gianforte, who could also choose to veto the bill. The bill outlined that Montana wants to protect the right to mine crypto and create legal certainty for miners as mining provides positive economic value and could potentially stabilize the grid and provide revenue for infrastructure upgrades. The bill was written with the help of the Satoshi Action Fund, a pro-Bitcoin lobbying group. Dennis Porter, CEO of the advocacy body, told Cointelegraph in a January interview that leaders in Montana have used zoning laws to attempt to push miners out and have considered imposing higher electricity rates on mining operations. In April of 2019, Missoula County in Montana passed rules that required miners to operate only in light and heavy industrial districts and required miners to exclusively use renewable energy. If passed, the law would overturn the county's zoning ordinance. In early February, the Mississippi State Senate passed a similar bill seeking to protect crypto miners from discrimination and is working its way to the state house. Meanwhile, Missouri's or Missouri, however you want to pronounce it. Meanwhile, Missouri's Digital Asset Mining Protection Act, which aims to protect the rights of crypto miners, was introduced to the state legislature in mid-January. There are many states that are very forward-looking at the state level. And this gives me a lot of hope for the future. And not, not just for Bitcoin. These types of things, if they translate to, I don't know, like your right to protect yourself, your right to protect your children, your right to make sure that your children aren't, you know exposed to stupid shit, you know, like the right to be able to, you know, educate your children at home if you so choose without, I mean, and the fact that you have to have a bill for any of this shit pisses me straight off, but we are where we are. And me being pissed off that, you know, that there has to be a law for this isn't going to do anybody any good. And it's well with outside of my realm of influence. So therefore, I'm going to choose not to use my neural energy to get all pissed off about it. I am going to lend my neural energy to the fact that I still think all this is good. Montana is headed in the right direction. I just wish they use Bitcoin instead of crypto, but whatever. It is what it is. Now, U.S. Drug Enforcement. Yay, the DEA. The uh, agency, the DEA, has seized $1.8 million from Binance in 2022. So apparently some shit was going down last year and we're just finding out about it. Sam Reynolds tells us about it from Coindesk. Federal officials have seized nearly $1.8 million with an M in cryptocurrencies from six Binance accounts tied to drug trafficking. The United States District Court of the Eastern District of Michigan granted a civil forfeiture request for approximately $1.8 million in today's value of cryptocurrencies that were seized in May of 2022 as part of an operation to disrupt a cash pipeline that funneled the proceeds of narcotic sales to Mexico via stablecoins, court filings, and sources familiar <clears throat> with the matter say that the cash couriers would deposit money generated from drug trafficking, use Binance to purchase USDT as well as Bitcoin, and then send the crypto to a designated address controlled by a criminal organization in Mexico. More, I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
talk about this here in a sec. We'll come back to that. Uh, six Binance accounts were named. A source that works with law enforcement on these matters said that the relationship between Binance and the DEA is, quote, pretty tight. DEA officials and Binance staff regularly meet to share intelligence, which is used to calibrate Binance's anti-money laundering policies and assist DEA operations, the individual said. This is part of a continued effort by Mexican cartels to use Binance as a conduit for money laundering. Per earlier reports, Mexican gangs have been using Binance since early of 2020 and in 2021, a Mexican national named Carlos Fong X. Javera pled guilty to charges of drug trafficking and laundering around $4.7 million in crypto. All right, so there's two things here. And if I can remember the second one, I'll, I'll hopefully I will, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. But the first one, let me reread this. Court filings and sources familiar with the matter say that cash couriers would deposit money generated from drug trafficking, use Binance to purchase USDT and Bitcoin, and then send the crypto to a designated address controlled by a criminal organization in Mexico. Nice try, FBI. Seriously, I don't think this is anything other than an operation. Am I tinfoil hatting it right now? You're damn right I'm tinfoil hatting it right now. Why? Because I don't believe these guys are that sophisticated yet to understand that it's a stable coin and the hardest money ever, Bitcoin, that would be the most useful to be able to use this, to do this stuff. I mean, honestly, if they really wanted I mean, and, and people are going to hate me for the following, but I'm going to say the word Monero. I don't own any. I don't suggest anybody go get it. I don't think it's a good store of value, but it does have, if used correctly, superior privacy. But I'm not after superior privacy with Bitcoin. It'll get there. There's other aspects of Bitcoin that I'm in love with. It always will be, but I have to say it. They should, for this kind of shit, you should use Monero. The fact that they used one of the most used stable coins on the planet and the hardest money, Bitcoin, on the planet tells me that I think they're trying to get Bitcoin and stable coins into trouble because those, Bitcoin is, is the biggest monster in the room. It is the 800 pound gorilla and it is tossing everybody around by their ankles and they're getting pissed. So now they're starting to focus on Bitcoin. But after, there, there's three tiers of this, of this stuff. There's shit coins, easy fruit. Then there's stable coins. That's not quite such easy pickings for justice departments around the world to get their hands on, but they're going for it. And then at the very top of the tree, which is the hardest to pick, you've got Bitcoin. And these idiots, you know, down, I'm sorry, but it's like, you know, drug cartels, while they can be sophisticated, if they were really sophisticated, they would have used Monero. And I guarantee you that the, that there, there are people that are using Monero exactly for this because they don't want to get caught. This shit, this is an op. And Binance is working directly with these guys because they want to be able to operate. They don't care about Bitcoin. CZ doesn't care about Bitcoin. I may like him every once in a while, but for the most part, 
I don't think he's all that good for Bitcoin. Exchanges aren't, aren't, aren't anything other than casinos. They just want to operate to take their cut. They're all grifters, even Kraken, Jesse Powell. And I, I kind of like Jesse Powell grifter. Because he's selling, you know, he was selling shit coins on Kraken and Kraken, he stepped down, but Kraken is still forging ahead with their ability to take your money because you think Dogecoin has some fucking value. Stop it. Now, this, this is an op. I guarantee it. Now here's, if I can remember the second thing, uh, yeah, let's get into that. The relationship between Binance and the DEA is pretty tight. DEA officials and Binance staff regularly meet to share intelligence. I'm going to say that again. Binance and the DEA regularly meet to share intelligence, which is used to calibrate Binance's anti-money laundering policy and assist DEA operations. No, well, yes, it does do that. But the real reason they're doing that is because I already said it. They want to continue to be able to operate and continue grifting the entire crypto ecosystem, whatever. I don't care. It's a fucking casino and they all need to burn down. Uh, Casinos never did any good for anybody but the casino. And the casino wants to remain in existence. That is always true for every organization. And they will do everything that they can to remain in existence. If any of you that are listening to my voice today <clears throat> say, well, my favorite, you know, exchange is not Binance, it's something else, and they would never do this. You're you're kidding yourself. They either are already doing it or they will do it because they don't want to go out of business. And if they do not cooperate with these assholes, they will indeed be put out of business by the very, very same assholes. It's just going to happen. This is just a fact of the way the world is right now. Get all of your shit off of your exchange. Even if it's your favorite exchange, get it off, hold it in, in, in cold storage and understand that every time you see something like this, it's probably an op to get eyes to look at Bitcoin in a, neg- in a more than negative light. And this will continue and it's going to, it, it's, it, it's just going to get worse and it's going to get more targeted and it's going to become more sophisticated. And your only option is to buy Bitcoin and hold that Bitcoin and figure out a way to define how you're connected to the system, figure out how you can unplug from that system without going to jail in the system and buy more Bitcoin and move, you know, move out of the cities, get as, get as far away from, you know, massive population centers as you can. Because when shit goes down, and I'm not saying it will, it probably will, but I'm not saying it will. I would rather be out of a city and have, and go to my grave, never seeing a massive societal collapse than to be in the center of Houston during a massive societal collapse. You see what I'm getting at? I'm, it doesn't matter to me if it happens or not. It doesn't matter to me if I think it's going to happen or if I think it's not going to happen. It's like a, it's like a firearm. I would rather have a gun and never need it than to need a gun and not have it. Same goes with coats. Same goes with water. I'm, you can do, you can make, you can say that sentence with anything. Just replace the word gun with whatever X and that sentence works. 
Just, just saying, but this is an op. All right, last one. Australia's finance regulator opens targeted review into Binance. Yep, that I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, Binance is playing nice because of shit like this, and they're going to start playing nice with Australia too. I'll bet you. Alice Key tells us more decrypt. Australia's financial regulator will carry out a targeted review into Binance's derivatives business in Australia after the company revealed it had classed some users incorrectly. Uh Uh-oh. On Thursday, Binance tweeted that it had liquidated the positions of 500 of its users in Australia after identifying an error in how the accounts were labeled. Quote, our team identified a small number of Australian users who were incorrectly classed as wholesale investors on Binance, the exchange said. Under Australian law, a wholesale investor is someone who has more experience trading and potentially more funds to do so. If they do not meet the criteria to be a, quote, wholesale client, they are classed as retail traders who are not allowed to trade derivatives. The Australian Securities and Investment Commission extended a ban on the sale of binary option derivatives to retail investors last year, citing high rates of losses among traders. In response to the announcement, ASIC said it was looking into Binance's derivatives arm and noted that it had not been contacted by the company directly about the error. Quote, ASIC is aware of Binance's social media posts overnight stating that it had incorrectly classed a group of Australian consumers as wholesale investors, an ASIC spokesperson said in a statement emailed to Decrypt. It has not yet reported these matters to ASIC in accordance with its obligations under its Australian Financial Services license. Are you kidding me? Quote, we are conducting a targeted review of Binance's Australian uh, Australia Derivatives Financial Service business in Australia, including its classification of retail clients versus wholesale clients, the spokesperson said. After discovering that the users had been mislabeled, Binance said it informed the 500 users affected and closed their positions with immediate effect. Wow. The company will also compensate them for any losses incurred while trading derivatives on Binance. The company did not immediately respond to questions. Yeah, okay. That's a... That's a bullshit mistake to make. That's that's rookie league, right? That's that's like junior high baseball bench sitter kind of mistake. How I mean, honest, really, you didn't know that you needed to report that. That should be just you. Did, even if you don't know, like it was never made clear to you that you're you're operating in a country and you know that there's a financial regulatory agency, but you don't know what you're supposed to report you report all of it, everything. If somebody sneezed the wrong way in your organization, you should probably write an email to the regulator just so that shit like this doesn't happen. Because this is this is the way that you get automatic eyeballs focused on you and locked on you in laser fashion forever. There is no, they will assign, Australia is now going to assign a guy or some gal and their one job is to make sure Binance stays within the lines. That's it. I mean, it, the, they blew that shit. You don't do stuff like that. That's like digging up, like, you know, I was at a cattleman's meeting last night for Eastern Washington. And there was a story about uh, the Department of Ecology apparently has their panties in a snit all the time about what ranchers are doing. So they're always there's always eyes that are laser focused on them. And this one rancher 
dug up wetlands on his property. Now, I, I'm a fan of wetlands, but I understand what's going on, you know, with the, you know, maybe need to drain that off because it's making, you know, some of the other pastures soggy, who knows, whatever reason. So I don't, I don't have a problem with, you know, with that. If it was my land, I would try to figure out a way to not do that, but it ain't my land. So I ain't going to tell this dude what to do. However, he also dug up wetlands on the, over the property line. He dug up wetlands that was not on his property. Whose property was it? It was the state's property. <laughs> that is, again, junior high baseball bench warmer mistake. That is, that is the rookiest move you can do, that you don't know where your property line is. And not only did you dig up wetlands on somebody else's property, but you dug it up on the state. Wetlands, if you did not know, are generally speaking federally protected from one end of the United States to the other. If it's on your private property, you can kind of get away with it a little bit depending on the state, county, who's watching, all that kind of shit. You do it on the federal or state lands, whoa, Nelly, you just bought yourself the same shit that Binance just bought themselves by not understanding simple rules of the game. Oh my God. You trust, you trust your shit on Binance? Dude, don't. Get it off and I'll, uh, uh, well, actually that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, going to end the week off with a joke. Dad says joke. A truck loaded with Vicks Vapor Rub overturned on the highway. Amazingly, there was no congestion for eight hours. All right, going to keep this one brief. Let's just recap. Don't trust people who clearly don't know what the hell they're doing. Mark Carpellis had no idea what he was doing, lost a whole bunch of people, a lot of Bitcoin, and they still haven't gotten it back after eight years. Binance is working with the DEA because they're their best buds, apparently, because they want to continue operating their grifting operation, even though they themselves don't know enough to report that they've incorrectly mislabeled uh, investors in Australia and they knew better. And this is where we... We trust them to not go under because of mismanagement. How do you not see that? All right. Uh, did we learn anything else? Uh, well, the Marcus Falco thing, somebody lined me out on what the hell's going on with that. Uh, I saw, I just started seeing a lot of stuff on Noster yesterday about, you know, Craig Wright hate. Generally, when I see that, but nobody's actually saying, you know, they just say Craig Wright sucks, you know, or, uh, Craig Wright is a fraud. And all of a sudden it'll just be like, you know, tens and, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 of these things that I'll see. And they'll all come out, you know, starting at a certain time and they'll, they'll, they'll go on for about five hours. And that's when I know that Craig Wright has actually done something, said something or sued somebody or filed a brief or lost a case or done whatever. And I've asked three times, underneath, you know, notes and Noster, hey, did Craig do something? And, and like the first answer I got is like, no, not that I'm aware of. He's just an asshole. But when Jack Dorsey, you know, tweets out something like, who is funding Craig Wright? 
okay, something's going on and I don't know what it is. And I guess I just haven't had time to really run it down. I did do some diligence yesterday and I, I typed in Craig Wright and uh, uh, into a search engine and looked for news. And the last news that I got is him losing the uh, his copyright case. And that was two weeks ago, which I reported on. Or at least that actually was longer than that. But the last story that I saw was two weeks ago. I saw nothing yesterday within like a day, two days, 24 hours. So somebody please give me a boostagram. Tell me what Craig Wright did because I don't know. And if it's worthy, I'll put it on the show and we'll talk about it then. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.